Welcome back to another episode of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by the 2020 York Center by-election can- conservative candidate, Julius Tankson. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 19 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by the previous York Center candidate, Julius Tankson. Thank you for being here, Julius. It's great to have you. Well, thank you for having me here, Aiden. Wonderful to uh, be able to see you and talk to you and uh, hopefully uh, have some good interaction here. For sure. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I did come from a tropical country called the Philippines, and that was more than 35, 36 years ago. I was barely 21 years old when I first came over and started my life in a city called Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, right in the middle of, of Canada. So that's how I got going in this country, and it has been an incredible a journey, a privilege, and a blessing that uh, I have chosen this country to be my second home. And in fact, it is now my primary home. Uh, I've lived in this country far too long than I have actually lived in the Philippines. So, well, how, how, why did you get it? Why did you want to get into politics? Well, it started out uh, quite early in life. I started out in the Philippines uh, early on, actually, because I grew up in. A country where our our freedoms were actually uh, curtailed because we did have a dictator at that time, and I was barely 10 or 11 years old when martial law was actually uh, uh, instituted in our country, and I didn't really realize the impact of martial law until I was about uh, 15 or 16 years old, and I began to be quite active in our in our student council and have understood already some of the issues and some of the freedoms that have been taken away from us. And then the consequence of that is uh, I have become quite alert in terms of what political parties or political leaders actually do. And so when I came here, uh, when I was barely 21 years old, I really started looking out um, for which of the political parties here in Canada that I can begin to actually align myself and uh, make sure that I do have a full understanding of the ideology, a full understanding also of uh, what will be the logical extreme of their policies. And, uh, and I have found that uh, more and more I feel quite comfortable with, with the Conservative Party. But prior to actually aligning myself into the Conservative Party, uh, way back early also, I think within about four or five years of my settlement here in, in Saskatoon, I got involved with a group of ladies who were involved in a program called the Living Caregiver Program. And for the most part, prior to 1992, um, there was no living caregiver program and there was no pathway towards citizenship really to those ladies who were primarily from the Philippines. About 90% of the uh, hundreds of thousands of participants actually come from the Philippines. And uh, I have come to realize that many of them uh, do have have significant issues uh, with employers, with um, their jobs, with their safety, with their security. So I started advocating actually for them. And in 1992, that was towards the end, I believe, of the tenure of the uh, prime minister at that time, Brian Mulroney, that it was a conservative government that actually gave them the right to citizenship. And so that got me really thinking and and begin to actually uh, look into the possibility of aligning myself with the conservative movement, or at that time, the Progressive Conservative Party. And and so that, that started the whole process, really, of becoming politically involved. And so 
you don't get into involvement in others and other people's lives in terms of advocacy for their own well-being and for the well-being of the community uh, and not be involved with certain political uh, uh, personalities and the consequence of that is you tend to look into what is it that they they believe in what is their ideology and and uh, whether it is something that you can truly align yourself with and more and more, as uh, years progress on, I have found myself that my own personal values, my own political views and ideology align quite well with the conservative movement and the conservative party here in Canada. For sure. What, what made you want to, to choose the conservative party? Why did you get invested into the conservative party? Well, again, there are a couple of things that I truly love about the conservative movement, and I would like to distinguish that the conservative movement as well as the Conservative Party. The Conservative Movement is all about freedom, individual rights, uh, the respect of our charter, uh, making sure that our Constitution is actually being upheld, and making sure that individuals are being protected, making sure that there is the freedom to exchange goods and services, making sure that uh, uh, the concept of a free market uh, economy is in fact being, being respected and followed. So that's, that's being part of the conservative movement. Now, to be part of the conservative party, obviously, a party that would embrace those principles within the conservative movement or those things that I was talking about uh, earlier. And so when I come to realize that uh, uh, the conservative party is one that truly have embraced, um, and I would hesitate to, to use the phrase right-wing politics or right-wing ideology, but I would rather use the term conservative a movement philosophy and, 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 and principles. And so I've seen that in the Conservative Party because there are other, you know, uh, right-leaning political parties that are not necessarily named after the Conservative, uh, I would say not uh, named after the, the term Conservative, such as the Saskatchewan Party that too is the, the, um, a right-leaning, you know, uh, Conservative Party. So I've come to realize that the Conservative Party truly embraced majority, if not all, of the conservative principles and values, uh, which I have come to uh, cherish and respect and embrace quite fully. For sure. And, and you look at the, the 2020 by-election for, for York Center, and, and you yeah. lost by less than a couple thousand. That's very, that's well, a very big accomplishment. In 701 votes, actually. Really? It was lost by 701 votes. 700, wow. And that's a big accomplishment in the GTA. That's really something to be, to be proud of. And definitely in a liberal writing as well, right? Yes. It was, um, if not for COVID, uh, because there were about 16, 16 uh, uh, what they would call as merge polls. These are, you know, two or three polls have been merged into one. And there were a total of 16 of these in total. And uh, six of those merge polls, I won quite narrowly. Uh, the 10, uh, my opponent won quite lopsidedly. And the consequence of that is, as we do a bit of a deep dive into, you know, where is it that she actually got uh, her vote? It was because our vote wasn't able to come out because of, of those uh, restrictions brought about by those merge forms. Not necessarily restrictions, but barriers, I would say, for our voters to actually go out and, and cast their ballots. So that was quite unfortunate because I think there was enough uh, that we have identified in those 10, which potentially could be between 25 to 30 polls, well, I think we have identified enough uh, uh, voter support in there that would help us overcome 
that 701 deficit. Mm. I mean, it will be narrow, but it would still be a win. <laughs> it definitely just going through election day or go back and forth. You'd you'd be the main poor, then then your sacks would be it. It was definitely it was definitely a nail biting night, wasn't it? Yeah. I bet it was exciting for you to watch. <laughs> yes, it, it was, because one point it would be your sacks would be up by like one or two percent, and then you'd be up by another two or three. It's it was definitely an interesting night, and it was yeah. very very good to see how good Toronto came out, and well in a Toronto the GTA because you you look at the the current GTA it approximately has about three conservative ridings in the GTA. Why? How do you think? Conservatives should approach the GTA in the next federal election. Well, um, there's probably at least three, if not four, probably five things that we can be doing um, just to tweak a little bit in terms of what our offer is. Now, democracy in this country is transactional. Um, very, sel- very seldom it is. In fact, it never has been ideological. It's always transactional. Um, democracy in the GTA is even more transactional and not necessarily ideological. When I say transactional, it is all driven by personality, okay? Uh, unlike before, I think, uh, I would say in the 1980s and maybe early in the 1990s, where uh, people actually look into the ideology of the political party. But nowadays, because of social media and you know the personal branding of people, we have become more and more transactional and personality driven. So one of the things that probably we needed to look into is um, what is the transaction coming from the conservative party? What is it that we can actually offer? And uh, with that comes the personality also as well. So what is it that we as a conservative movement in this country can actually offer to them from a personality perspective that the people who will be electing us can actually identify with? So that's uh, number one. The second thing is obviously because it is transactional, then policy-oriented. Some of the things that um, we can offer by way of a transaction again for, um, for, our, uh, for the electorate to actually consider. What is it that we have as an offer? Um, and what is it that we can uh, offer that is relevant actually at this stage of, of the lives of, of the electorate or at the stage of, of our history? Now, we're just coming out of a pandemic and hope that you know, we would come out with this pandemic and the biggest the biggest concern of many people is obviously the economy. So what is it that we as conservatives can actually offer from a transactional point of view that would allow us uh, to generate the kind of results that we would like to generate from the electorate? And then thirdly, um, I think from the perspective also of organization, um, uh, I think there's much that could be done from uh, I mean, we always, we always, um, uh, many political parties are organized like a military uh, organization where it's always top down and so on and so forth. But I think more and more of the GTA ridings in particular can be won when we strengthen actually areas or ridings or districts like York Center um, to be more, uh, to be given more and more, I would say, autonomy in terms of the direction in, in which they can, they can bring. Um, they can bring in the vote. Um, uh, obviously, the messaging will be will be quite similar and should be parallel with with what is happening nationally. But more and more, I think individual messaging for writings that are at play uh, needs to be uh, needs to be offered. And then, fourthly, also as well, I think uh, I would say a sustained outreach to new Canadians, um, not just 
not just a one-off kind of thing, but a sustained outreach to new Canadians. New Canadians have a different perspective of what conservatism is all about. Um, we don't have this red Tory and blue Tory and fiscal conservative, libertarian, or social conservative, or constitutional conservative. We don't have uh, that kind of a perspective, nor that kind of a sophisticated ideology that could actually parse our conservative uh, worldview or conservative ideology. Um, we are, new Canadians are very simple. We didn't come from highly organized, or I would say high, highly ideologized uh, democracies in the countries that we come from. Uh, we come from with the idea that we would like to make our lives better. And so the biggest takeaway that we have uh, when it comes to actually choosing a political party or belonging to a political movement is, is this. Would there be good government? And conservatives is one that should be championing good government. Um, and so uh, would there be good government? Would there be uh, good fiscal responsibility? Because we are naturally very fiscal conservative, the Canadians are. And would the people that would be, that would be, I would say, leading us, can they actually be, be trusted? So those are probably, you know, the four things that I will be looking at in terms of what, what is it that we can offer to the electorate and what is it that we can do uh, from the perspective of uh, being part of the conservative movement and the conservative party. Mm -hmm, for sure. And, and now you're seeking the, the conservative while riding uh, to run in the, ne the next fair election as the candidate for York Center. So why don't you tell us how's that, how, how's that going or, or when you're going to, to know? Well, um, we have just, uh, uh, the, the riding uh, nomination has been called uh, more than 10 days ago. And there was a deadline last Thursday uh, for new membership to be signed up. There's another deadline coming up on the 18th of March. The deadline for other candidates to actually submit their nomination papers. There are two of us that are trying to win the nomination, and um, uh, and so that's where it is at right now. And then shortly after that, uh, they interviewed me, and they're apparently going to interview also the other candidate. And from there on, we would know after the 18th. membership can actually make a decision and vote for uh, the candidate that would move forward and uh, be the candidate for your center. So why don't you tell us how that how that system works? How do you how do you get elect to be elected as the as the candidate? How, why don't you tell us how that works? Well, obviously it's driven by the members, uh, grassroots members, and you put your name forward. There is actually a, a very elaborate uh, process in which you have to put in your name. Uh, for submission. It's about 36 pages that you need to fill out as an application and then you need to have the signatures of at least 25 members of good standing um, and then you know you begin the process of soliciting membership from um, residents of York centers, uh, people who can actually vote. It's almost like a primary really that we have in the U.S. but obviously a very different uh, electoral system than we have mm -hmm. than what we have here in Canada and so we we, uh, you know, you, you, you almost like to have your quasi-campaign team uh, and you have your own campaign manager, you have your CFO uh, also as well, then you have your canvassers, you have people that are selling uh, memberships and, and so on and so forth. So you're, you have all of that. Um, fortunately for me, I have all of that intact from the last uh, 
2020 by-election, at least, you know, a semblance of that. So I was quite ready to move forward with, with, um, uh, with my nomination campaign. And uh, it's almost like a drive-on, really, of the actual campaign. It also uh, tests the preparedness of a particular candidate and his uh, supporters, whether this is something that they would like to do from the perspective of, of running an actual uh, campaign. So, and then shortly after that, uh, you would, there's three phases. So that's the first phase. The second phase is the interview process, which is the vetting process, really. And then that's when the party would, would look into your application, uh, call references, uh, check into the various reports that you have submitted, uh, look into your own personal assets. It's quite, quite intrusive, actually, but at the same time, I think it is good. You know, it is good that... Uh, you could go through that and, and, and then included in that is obviously now the, the interview, which is now the second phase. And that interview consists of a panel called the uh, Candidate Nominating Committee, uh, which is um, a committee of uh, primarily board members of the electoral district, plus a couple of others who are non-board non members, plus the regional organizer. Um, and they go through, uh, you know, a series of questions with you, and uh, normally uh, focusing more on your on your policies, policies the um, the government policies of the Conservative Party, and then focuses on the preparedness for election, then focuses on your personal character, focuses on your family also as well, and then uh, focusing on uh, some of the other stuff that may have come out in, in the vetting process, and then the third phase of that is the voting phase where you now ask the people that are supportive of you uh, to vote online for you. And so there is a process also where that also takes place. Uh, and it's all online right now. Well, it, it definitely is, a, is an interesting process how that how a candidate is chosen and then to go on to be an MP. It's definitely, I would say, intricate of how the system works with the, the conservative system because the conservative family or the, the party or if you will it has safeguards and rules where the liberal party doesn't almost right where it's or how, how would you how would you put it there, yeah there are there are pros and cons uh, on that you know because um the problem often with grassroots democracy is that uh, we may end up with people that may not necessarily be representative of what the movement is all about, but they may be a representation of a special interest. Okay? Mm -hmm. And that is something that we need to take on as a balance, really, uh, on balance. Uh, in as much as I am one that really would be pushing for grassroots initiative and so on and so forth, but at the same time, we do live uh, in an era where, um, you know, a small matter can actually derail um, a campaign as a result of social media, and then uh, the apparent, if not inherent, um, biases of those who are involved in, in journalism um, and, and mainstream media. Um, so those are, you know, the, those are something, some of the things that needed to be uh, needed to be uh, taken into consideration. Uh, a balance of yes, the grassroots movement, making sure that uh, the process doesn't get hijacked. You know, and, and put that in parentheses. You know. It doesn't get hijacked, but then we would come out actually with people that should be, that should be our candidate in in our uh, in our uh, in our slate, you know, or in the conservative party. 
How how would you say ever the campaign went for you for you the 2020 by-election like within a couple of months how would you say that you equipped yourself like your team and yourself within a couple of months to grasp to go through all of york center how would you say that you did on a scale of one to ten like getting ready everything everything set up canvassing door knocking the spreadsheets how would you say you did um i was basically i mean the the writ dropped on September the 18th, and I was called in the afternoon and had been asked to put my name in for consideration for nomination. I got the package on the 19th. I have to put together my package, get my signatures, and so on and so forth. So that took me uh, one whole weekend plus a Monday. The deadline was Tuesday afternoon, so Tuesday morning I was still running around and getting those signatures, and then by, uh, and got it sent, sent off uh, by email as well as by courier by one o'clock. And, and uh, the person, my campaign manager in Ottawa, took it to the headquarters there uh, prior to three o'clock in the afternoon. And so we got it all on time. The decision to uh, uh, move forward with my nomination came on Thursday, so literally I lost about eight days already in terms of a potential campaign, plus another weekend because now I have to collect 150 signatures from the electors, and I was very busy in doing that because if not, because the following week, uh, Elections Canada would need all of my paperwork done so that my name actually would be in the ballot. Please imagine that. You know, I need to have all of that. And so I've lost two weekends, a clear 10, maybe 12 days that I've lost already. And I have, and so I have no more than three weeks and a half, maybe the best almost four weeks to actually mount a general campaign or a, a, a robust campaign. Uh, fortunately, um, in 2019, I was also involved, uh, not as a candidate, but uh, I consulted with uh, three other uh, writings in terms of their GOTV. So I'm all, you know, it's still fresh within me in terms of campaigning or whatsoever, and helped uh, three different candidates in the GTA that I thought would have a, a, a good shot in, in actually winning a GTA uh, seat. Um, one in Scar, uh, one in Scarborough, one in. Uh, in um, in Etobicoke, uh, and then the other one is in Brampton. Those are the three areas that I actually helped out because uh, I thought that they would have a very good shot winning it. And then, so it was still fresh. I'm still connected with many volunteers and so on and so forth. And I've always been connected with my own volunteers because these are all uh, my personal co contacts and connections. And so when when it came quite apparent that I will be the candidate, uh, we had right away over 150 volunteers. Wow. Um, it grew to about 300 plus, to be honest. It was about 320 volunteers um, uh, in total, including some of the staff that was sent to us from Ottawa. So we have that in place. I have three weeks and a half or four weeks at best uh, to actually mount the campaign. We door knock the team, uh, the Canvas team, door knock on over 30,000 homes. I personally door knock almost 12,000 homes because I was out almost every single day. Uh, door knocking on anywhere from 400 to as many as 700 doors every single day uh, by myself. With I always would have 
a team of almost five or six people, and we would just go one area and and uh, door knock. It was fun. It was quite fun. It was like, I mean, if you were there, my goodness, you'll probably be addicted to it, and you'll be there all day and just door knocking with me. It was just fun, really, Aiden. And 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 um, we were, I mean, you know, the expectation was uh, we would be 10, 15 points behind. Uh, and to to actually came short of just less than three points, so three percent, or seven hundred and one votes. Uh, that in itself was an incredible, incredible feat. Mm. And I owe that to the campaign team, um, the campaign manager, manager George and Burke, and uh, our team there, and the volunteers, the Canvas people, my Power Eight. I have my Power Eight. Uh, what I would call as my core Canvas team, and they were with me day in and day out, uh, almost with me six to eight hours, sometimes 10 hours a day. Um, and so it was just an incredible collective effort and all of the necessary, you know, metrics in, in metrics in a, sorry, metrics in, in, in uh, a campaign, they were all met substantially. And so we were expecting to really win, uh, or at least I was, and some of my team members were expecting that we're going to win. Um, and uh, we came very, very, uh, you know, uh, short of, of winning, but we were quite, we were, we were, we did not win, but we didn't feel defeated, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's the thing, because I, I'm from Aaron O'Toole's writing, so back in the 2019 election, there's, there's the goal of getting at least, his goal of at least a thousand doors a day, and, and we had this, we had this massive RV. I don't know if you know a uh, mm -hmm. winter bag around or something. I forget what it was called, but there'd be so many people. There'd be about ten people, and ever everyone just have their own neighborhood. It could be like go from one neighborhood and then drive over to the next one and try and get as many doors as you can done right before the day. Because in in the end, it, it matters how if the the difference you make, right? Yes. It, it's definitely it is definitely a lot of fun doing that because you got to interact with a lot of people and hear their concerns what what they what they like to hear what they say right yeah. and it's definitely you, you take that into consideration going door to door i think i maybe did about i started late so there'd be about maybe a couple thousand doors there was definitely a lot to do within only like a two to three week time gap between the the election night and and well the start update for for canvassing right because on election night like you go from maybe eight o'clock in the morning all the way t till the ballots close and it's really magical what can happen on an election night mm -hmm. no yes if coming back to do you think that there would be a, that there is looking to be a summer election in june well uh the indication is that there could be um I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be, uh, primarily because, you know, Mr. Trudeau's numbers are still up and uh, it would only get worse. <laughs> um, so he's trying to trigger an election and, and you know, we just need to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And just one of my last questions. If you were elected and under an and an Aaron O'Toole government, what would... What do you think would be most important within the first 100 days? Well, first is uh, how to jumpstart our economy. That's the first thing. Um, and uh, that could mean making sure that uh, vaccination rollout would actually happen. 
that could mean we begin to uh, really... The thing that I am so sad about, because we do live in an advanced country, a developed country, and yet an advanced and developed country does not have a framework for emergency and a fiscal framework in, in making sure that uh, we do come out of that emergency quite whole. And that is the thing that was really surprising, that were really surprising to me, that how could an advanced uh, country, a G7 country like Canada, with all of the technology and all of the wealth that we have, and yet we don't have that emergency framework or a fiscal framework. Um, and now we've shut down uh, our economy. I don't think we have made ourselves healthier as a result of this lockdown. In fact, probably if statistics would actually come out, uh, we are probably uh, way off when it comes to our health indicators as to you know, the health of our communities and individuals and as a country. Um, and so, th so that, is, that is something that was quite surprising to me. And so I think in as much as, yeah, we jumpstart our economy, making sure, but we also need to make sure that we begin the process of developing this emergency framework and fiscal framework. Because guess what? Um, this kind of emergency uh, or, or pandemic or health crisis or whatever, it may not necessarily be a health crisis, but what I would say is an emergency framework should be in place so that um, if there is, in fact, a national emergency that would allow us to give this awesome power to the government, such as them invoking emergencies, uh, emergency act, and would begin to um, act unilaterally, at least we do have an understanding uh, of the emergency framework, and we do have an understanding also of the fiscal framework that we are operating from. So uh, that, I think, should be a priority also as well. So apart from, obviously, the uh, making sure that we do kickstart our economy, we have all of those frameworks to be in place. And then, and then uh, thirdly also is there really has to be a rethink as to uh, what is it that uh, what, what what is the long-term impact of the shutdown that we just did uh, and continuing to do? Uh, there's got to be something that should, would impact your generation uh, in terms of how you relate to people. This whole physical distancing, this whole mask wearing, um, and for kids that have not seen their classmates for over a year or so, or have seen their classmates intermittently, uh, there's got to be an impact on this as to how how we connect with one another as a society. So enough, enough thinking should be placed into how do we, uh, how do we make sure that uh, this society becomes, still continues to be cohesive, uh, continues to move forward uh, in our economy, continues to move forward as a freedom-loving society, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, those are some of the things that I have in mind in terms of what needed to move forward. Uh, as a priority in the first 100 days. Yes, for sure. Well, I very much did enjoy this. I hope that we could do this again. Hopefully, next time we do this, you're the York Center candidate. Yes, I would hope so. So mm -hmm. we'll move forward with that, Aiden. Mm -hmm. Thank you. For yes, well, thank you for all your time, Julius. It was really great to have you on here. Amazing. Thank you. Perfect. Have a great Bye night. Yes. You too. Bye-bye. And that was the 2020 York Center by-election conservative candidate, Julius Tankson. Well, make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup.